This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 853. Brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you, boss. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 853. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and this is my co-host, Josh Flanagan. Hi there. And we is are our fanboy. It's a little creepy, right? It was a little Hi. bit. Okay. I pushed through it just to avoid all uncomfortableness and pleasantness. Sure. What was the Pick of the Week? Oh, right. We are a fanboy. Every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us, we pick the book we like the best. We call it the Pick of the Week. We'll talk about that book and other books from the week. We'll talk about... Uh, patron picks and patron powers and emails and all fine, kinds of fun stuff. And this is the unofficial Clayton Cowles week. Is that what that is? Is that what I'm reading? Uh, if you if you go through the script, he lettered like most of the books we talk about, it feels like. Well, Big Clayton Cowles week. The last three of the list. Yeah. That's it. Shut up. <laughs> you have recency bias here. We talk uh, about that wow. book. Wow. Excellent work. Uh, I already did that part. It's already, uh, we're already, it's all too late. There's Mentally three different publishers, apart. Connor. I know. He's very good. Hey, here's our spoiler warning. This is a review show. There'll be some spoilers. This week, Josh, you had to pick. Yeah. And earlier this week, I said to Connor, I said, dollars to donuts. I didn't say that, but mm-hmm. I thought it. I could have. It would have fit in just perfectly with my whole milieu. That the patron pick is going to be Damn Them All, number one, which is a new boom book from Simon Spurrier and Charlie Adlard. Of course, on color, we have Dodgson. Sophie Dodgson. Dodgson. Well, along with Shane Hannah Kui. Kui she's a, Bono. She's a color Kui. flatter. Okay. There's a, there's a line in The Departed where he goes, Kui, who gives a fuck? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Letters by Jim Campbell. Uh, and I was wrong. It was up there in contention. Oh, uh, you lost only by two votes. You were not yeah. You were not totally wrong. I mean, we like to sometimes guess what the Patreon is going to be based on the list. And, and it was a very good guess. I mean, for a while it was leading the vote. It didn't right. win, but it lost very... Very razor thin line, so you were not wrong. So, um, this was not a week where something really stood out to me. Uh, there's there was really good books, but there wasn't anything necessarily interesting about them that we hadn't mentioned a million times before. And I want to be very clear about this book. This is a Hellblazer book. This yeah. is 100% a Hellblazer story uh, with the with the pieces moved around a little bit. Um, there is a woman. And she has an uncle, and she asks her uncle to tell her about her uncle Alfie to tell her about magic, and he uh, avoids her for a long time. He only appears in shadow. He's John Constantine. Yeah, I mean she's she's like seventeen in the beginning, and she wants her uncle to teach her how to. And he's got a trench coat and a white shirt. They're in a pub. They're British. It's all like in in you know working class London. There's yeah. gangsters. What was interesting um, was that. So the first, let's see, one, two, three, four. The first four pages, like the whole pro- prologue is all from her point of view. So it's all POV, which is not yes. not something that you see a lot in comics. And I, as a result, I totally forgot that, that Charlie Adler was the artist by the time I got to the right the title page. Because the art is very unusual. You're not seeing a lot of people. You're seeing a lot of hands and objects and things and... I just totally forgot. And then the, the demon you see, totally not something you see Charlie Adler draw. I mean, he's, you know, 
He's a Walking Dead artist. It's all I've ever seen him draw, really. And so he t- he used to do a lot before Walking Dead, but it's almost like the Walking Dead eclipsed it. Sure. And and that was actually one of the things that I was really looking forward to on this. Slice Barrier, I feel like I can go either way. I really like some of his first issues. I really don't like some of his others. Um, you know, but but Adlard, he got really specific with the thing that he was doing, but the guy is, you know, he's a master. He, like, even, you know, he put in his 100,000 hours. Like, I was really interested to see, like, how this guy going to, like, he took a couple of years off, it seems like. Sure, why not? And then, then got back, back into it. But yeah, no, totally. I totally know what you mean. I, I was halfway through and I went, wait a minute, who draw? Right, that's right, Charlie Adler. In fact, there's a page, uh, page 12. It's basically the character reveal of Ellie Hawthorne, who is the, mm-hmm. the character here. Uh, you know, and I went, oh, yeah, that's Charlie Adler. Like, I just you yeah, know, I think it was it. until that page where I really was like, oh, right, 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 right. Right. So, I will say the only, the only negative is the cover. Um, did not know that was a woman on the cover. I didn't either until I just looked at it now, and I went, "Oh, okay, that's her." But other than like the 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 quote messy bun up there, mm-hmm. it's it's not drawn that way. And and quite honestly, that might be on purpose. Um, but she doesn't look quite so uh, androgynous in the uh, reveal shot. No, in but the book maybe itself. the color helps. Who knows? Uh, anyway, I mean, like I can't help but think that this is a re. Uh, refitted pitch for post death of John, because really, like his uh, his niece, I forget her name in the comic book. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like I think that John dies, and then that girl would have taken over, and this is what that story would have looked like. I could have one hundred percent seen this, like you know, next generation Hellblazer published. Yeah, I mean, by we loved his of... Hellblazer comic that yeah. was fairly fairly recent, whenever that actually was, but it feels fairly recent in the life of the show. And we, you know, pick of the week several times. We both loved it. We both picked it as pick of the week. And you're, I mean, you're right. This is, this feels in that same milieu. It's, it's a neck, you know, sorcerer, necromancer, you know, type in London dealing with a crisis. She's a little bit more, she's more criminal. I mean, she works for, she works for a gang. She works for a criminal, you know, organization. Right. So she's, she's got a bit more of her foot into the dark side of things than John would have, but that's fine. That, well, that would have been an interesting think- twist on it. Like, like what I'm saying is a repurposed, you know, pitch or whatever. It, it's, it's turned into its own thing. I'm, I'm not saying like, you well, know, I'm like, saying this oh, could have been fine because you, you could have had his, his niece go that way too. Like, you know, it could have right. been that way. Exactly. The character itself is slightly different than John Constantine in that she's a bit more, I don't know, she grew up with the gangs or whatever. She, she's basically the gang's personal sorcerer or whatever you want she's to call there, her. She's their magician on retainer. And yeah. I think, so then, so what you have is, and you know, the, you know, but London crime and Boston crime are my two favorite crime. <laughs> genres you know if i have mm-hmm. to if i have to go that way and and i really liked the boss in this the crime boss is that he is I'm trying to think of what his name is it's frank or tom or frankie well, that's yeah and he he's a little he's a little past his prime like he's still got a lot of power he's there you picture you know uh, um what's his name in sexy beast um ben Kingsley? That guy. no no the the, the crime boss oh anyway, the, doesn't yes matter. yeah that guy um and he's a little past his prime and like he kind of knows it and there's people coming for him, but he's still a tough old son of a bitch. And well, it was a good twist in that he is a, he styles himself like a sixties London gangster. Yeah. Yeah. Like and his crazy. wife yeah. is actually, uh, the modern boss. Like she does the crypto crime and all, and he's the one like pulling bank jobs and he's almost right. like a kid. Like, here you go. That was real good. Good bank job. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, while she's off, like, doing the modern, you know, 
modern day crimes, like financial crimes and stuff like that. Right. Um, Ray Winstone. That's him. Uh, I really liked the the beginning. Basically, that that sort of point of view story is that she convinces him to finally show her what's going on, and they talk about yeah they talk about the they talk about the cost of magic, but it's (laughs) it's a slightly different thing than the way they're doing in Marvel. But still, it's a zeitgeist going around in comics for some reason, and you know they set up this ritual, and the because it's point of view, which in a comic book is. Not pulled off a lot. I don't. I was going to say it's tough to pull off, but I don't know. We just don't see it that often, right? Um, and you know, basically, he says you got to keep this this um, blindfold on because you're not going to be able to handle this if you look at it. And she's like, "Oh, come on, you're screwing with me!" Because she hears voices yeah. and she sees it, and they they describe the feeling and the, and the horror and the sort of the otherworldliness of it. And I really liked that because. In most of comics like this, it's taken as as written that like, oh, a demon shows up. It's just like a demon walking around. And this sort of leans to the idea that this is something from another world, and so it is not going to feel like something you can deal with. Uh, yeah, and that's especially true in the middle part. Yeah, yeah. So that that comes up in like, you know, people start puking or passing out or dying. Just like, you don't, it, this is not how it goes in the movies. You don't see like an alien show up and just go about your day. It's like you right. you, you are f- fucked up. You're, you start throwing up. You have a breakdown. You have a like yeah. – like same thing with the demon appearing. It's not like, oh well, cool demon. Now back to my chips. It's like Whoops. right. It's not just like seeing a scary monster. It's a whole yeah. thing more than that. I liken <laughs> it to the way that uh, the aliens in Arrival were depicted, where it was they were existing on multiple time planes at the same mm-hmm. time. You know, just a different way of thinking about it. And I, I thought, oh, I've never seen this in these kind of comic books. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean that's kind of it was, that was kind like, of the deal. So let me ask you a question because maybe you you were not confused by this. So I mentioned the cover. The only other problem I had with this issue was so we have the prologue with the uncle. The uncle teaches her magic. We cut to the president where he has just died. We're at her funeral, and it's full of it's full of like you know rough gangsters and stuff. And the big reveal is that she the niece is the uh, the priest doing the doing the reading. I went doing. back about that too, and I was like, what. So then but, we go to his wake at a bar at the Star and Trumpet, and that's when this other character shows up, this um, woman from America who com- becomes important later. Michonne. Michonne, yes. And so then a bunch of uh, young thugs bust in with uh, ski masks and shotguns, and they're looking for Frankie Way. Frankie Way is the main wax. gangster. And, you know, they summon a demon with them. The demon pops up. <clears throat> Everybody freaks out, throws up. Well, except for that one dude who just ignores it at the bar. And uh, then they say, we, the demon says, I'm here for, for, for wax. Which one's wax? And he says, and he says I'm wax. And then, and then there's a giant page where he, he's blown up. He's blood. He blows up. There's blood everywhere, right? But no, so he, what happens is, okay, so there's the guy at the bar, and he's the one who's ignoring it. There's this guy looking at, his, uh, looking at his cell phone with a Norman Osborn haircut. Um, so we have to point that out, having recently spoken about it. Yeah. So... Ellie comes up to him and she says, Frankie, oh. Frankie Wax. He goes, what? I'm not. And then so basically she identifies uh, him to the demon as Frankie Wax to get the real guy out of there. I see. Frankie okay. Wax her boss. I see. I thought that was, okay, never mind. I, that I, was no, a little confusing I, to me. I read that over, you know, the second time I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. Um, she it's, kills, I, so it's she, pretty she, elegantly she kills done. that guy. Yes, she does. And I think that that puts us at a place too, where like John Constantine wouldn't have done that unless that was a really bad guy. So that's what that's what's interesting is her morality is way different than John's. Yes. John's yes. John was a bastard, but he was 
a moral bastard, whereas she is she seems to be completely um amoral, at least right now. Yeah. It's so weird on the cover though, like she's dressed it's it's like John's trench coat. It's shorter. Yeah, it's like a TV coat. Yeah, like it's just a little, little like but the skinny tie, like the whole thing. I, I don't know why he's not getting hit with a lawsuit. So we have what we have here is well, we've had several books like that where the some other book with we said why isn't why the lawyers wrote this yet? But anyway, um, the idea is that these this, these demons from hell have been unleashed, and they are like not even unleashed; they've been kicked out of hell, so they can be controlled. Before you couldn't control them, but now you can, mm-hmm. and so the, the gangs have started grabbing their own demons to fight each other. So it's it's like a gang war with 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 uh, sorcery, yeah, um, but not in like a fantasy way, but more more like a Hellblazer way. Yeah, it was fun. I was surprised by it, and I wouldn't have read it if not for the near patron pick. And then you're telling me that you were reading it and it was good. Yeah, and so. I mean, I hope it keeps up. Let's see. Is it a? Is it an ongoing? Or sure. Is it... No, it's one of six. It's one of six. Oh. I mean, so everything is good. just... That's why I say sure. Everything is whatever. Yeah, point. no, but sometimes I like to know if they have an end cap on it. Because sure. everything is sort of planned. But it says this is one of six. I'm sure if it's great, they'll do more. Uh, I just hope it holds up. I've, I find, you know, Cy Spurrier has great ideas. When he, when he does, you know, uh, South London... He does it great. Um, the voice, the voices are very strong. But he, do, you know, he can go off the rails conceptually sometimes, and and that might speak to some folks. But sometimes he can lose me. I hope that this stays with a you know a, a groundedness uh, in this, which mm-hmm. which which Hellblazer did because John anchors that whole thing, so you can kind of get away with that, uh, and you don't get sort of too far into the metaphysical and the, the you know the conceptual stuff behind it um which is sort of the danger with this kind of story mm-hmm. your it's literally the 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 solicit says uh step by uh simon scurrier simon Spurrier to introduce your favorite new occult anti-hero since john constantine yeah it's like it's in the i mean <laughs> well, like, he died, like so yeah he dies in the beginning. The jacket, he did. I mean, he did. Like, it, there, if nothing else, it's a symbolic death. And and I, I just want to make this clear: the way that I'm talking about, it, I'm not annoyed about it. This doesn't that doesn't cheapen this in any way. Cy Spurrier did great Hellblazer work, and then that ended. And he's like, I have more stories to tell like this. I'm saying, go for it. If I'm boom, I'd I'd be a little worried about the trademark infringement, you know, down <laughs> to the clothing on the cover. But that's well, not his problem. Warner Brothers Discovery is a little busy right now. That's uh, probably true. Sean Phillips did a variant cover. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Usually, all oh, a lot of variant covers. Bill Sinkovich did one. That'd be cool. All right. Anyway, this was enjoyable. I like this. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good book. It was. It was. It was. It was hard for me to like. It wasn't a thing where I was like, "Oh, this is definitely the pick of the week." And it was great mm-hmm. books. We're going to talk about some of them in here. But you know, in terms of things I didn't expect, things that sort of delivered on all the levels that you're supposed to. Excited to see Charlie Adlard come back. Uh, you know, uh, it was a good time. So I think I would have enjoyed Catwoman Lonely City Book 4, the final issue of this um, terrific miniseries from Cliff Chang, more had there not been some sort of like six-month delay between the last issue. I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while, long enough came out, where I was like, oh, what, what? I want to say I read, I know I read the first one. I maybe read the second one. And then by the time this one came out, I go, I don't remember anything about this. I don't even remember if I read the last issue. So I, so I, I skipped over it. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, the conclusion. It was good. It just, like, I, I was struggling to remember the details. So, the issue three came out in April. So, <laughs> it's been it's a, about... It's a different world, <laughs> I, man. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, 
you know, page rates and everything, but why, why, this is not a continuity specific book. Put it out when it's ready, when it's done. Otherwise, put it out as an yeah. OGN, because, like, it's just, like, it's just, it kills the momentum of the story. It kills the interest in the story. And it wasn't like, it's not like it was in danger of being canceled before the end of the fourth no. one. But, I mean, I think the thing is just, you know, it, it's just that short-term business concern. Like, oh, good, the first issue's it. ready, put it out. You know, let's, let's get our money back as soon as possible, because you can't, you can't go one and a half fiscal years in the future to think, you know, so they, they don't do it that way. And then artists invariably get behind and, and look to be fair to cliff chang uh, uh he did everything on the book you yeah, know, he did, he the story, he did the you know but there's got to be something to be done like this is an image you know right You've i mean a massive you can editorial staff put the first issue out when you're in the pencil stage of the fourth issue mm -hmm. you know like i don't know it was just it was rough in terms of like my enjoyment of the books, I, we loved the first, you know, couple yeah. issues. They were terrific, and I, I remember the third. I read all all of them. It's been terrific, but like, it just I had to, I spent a lot of time trying to, trying to remember what, what had happened and what was going on. And if you recall, Catwoman was released from prison. She's sort of in her maybe her fifties, and yeah. she she was uh, trying to break into the Batcave, which is now under police protection after Batman was killed. And here we see the flashback to him actually dying. The Joker killed him. And, uh, <clears throat> you, know, the, you know, the demon Etrigan makes an appearance here. She has her sidekick, Poison Ivy, and the Riddler, the Riddler's kid. I mean, it was all very, very, very good. It was really good. It just was, it was tough to remember why we were doing anything and what was going on. I still don't remember why she was breaking into the Batcave because it's been six months since the last issue. But um, Was it to steal something? I think she got a message from Bat, from Bruce post death, and the reveal here is is basically Bruce had his own little mini Lazarus pit hidden in the Batcave. That was called mm -hmm. the Orpheus Pit because it was mixed. It was a Lazarus pit mixed with some Bane juice, some Venom juice, and so as he got older, he would use it, and uh, he used it once on on uh, Alfred who was dying, and it didn't work out well because it made you you know extra insane. But that was an interesting twist. Was like that Batman would go to those lengths to keep his war on crime going, and uh, it was you know, Clary and the Witch Boy showed up to fight Etrigan, and you know it, it, it was a nice conclusion from what I recall from the setup. But it's just it's just tough with these publishing delays on these books that are not contingent on any other books. It's tough. I mean, I remember the first two coming up pretty pretty much on time and i don't remember how the third one did but the, the fourth one i i I'd honestly forgotten the book existed yeah and i saw this i saw it in the list i was like oh cool that book and then i was like wait what had happened in that book and you know the stuff but it ended a nice little happy ending catwoman and the riddler are sort of in a relationship and you know they're, tra they're training his daughter to be the new catwoman and it, it's nice but you know it was just the momentum was totally de dead up at the end of it it's weird because it it leads me to think like wh a guy like Cliff Chang is a lot of talent and I know why he wouldn't do monthly books or at least sort of choose to like it totally makes sense but it makes me sort of regret this the the I don't know if it's the economic situation that we're in in comics is that like folks who are talented like this who have the option choose not to do monthly books a lot of times they can't 
Yeah, no, I get why. Uh, it's just it's just like the talents there, and I think that so many of the monthly books would be better if the really talented people were still able to work on them. Does that make sense? Like, oh, and I they, agree with you. They, I think there's age themselves out, or they they uh, not age, but um, their experience is such that like I don't want to deal with that. And I understand, I absolutely understand why. But I think comics would be so much better if folks like that still did them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a processing yourself out um, in terms of putting too much effort into the books, but then you're right. Like, why would you submit to the monthly grind of a monthly book? If you didn't have to, you wouldn't No. So, and, and there's all sorts of reasons not to financially, uh, uh, you know, if you're doing a prestige book like this, uh, you're getting a bigger chunk of it. There's probably, you know, the, the, it's definitely in the plan that this gets reprinted. You probably have back end on that. You, you know, there's all sorts of reasons, you know, not, and, and also, you know, it's prestige. It's literally, it's in the name. You get like, oh, this thing, if it stands out, it's gonna, you know, get the test of time. But, you know, you and I are so invested in the the idea of the monthly book, of the ongoing thing. I mean, like, if it was up to you and me, everything would be numbered from where it started. You know, there, yeah, would, now be, would, yeah. there, would, there would be arcs, but I'm air quoting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like it would be continuous and they would all sort of work together and do, you know, cause it's how dad did it. And it just kind of, it, it's, it makes me, uh, uh, winsome, I suppose. I mean, you're right. I mean, most, you know, most really great artists in comics now don't, aren't found monthly. And if they are, they're old school, like John Romita Jr. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it's literally how dad did it. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, but, but like I always think of somebody like like Adam Hughes, who was like real early on, like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just gonna do, you know, commissions and make more money and live a much better life. And I, who can blame him? Who can blame Scotty Young, you know, who who did his thing and now for him to like draw a monthly book, it would be a huge grind and also difficult his life. He can he can figure out other ways to do it. And well, Adam and Hughes it, was too slow. He was always too slow. I think he did yeah. like Three or four issues in a row of Justice League back in the nineties, and I was like, "I can't do this." And he made it work for him. That's fine, yeah. you know. But but I mean, the thing is this, and and again, it's not a good system. Like at the time I'm talking about broke a lot of folks, and I and I know that. But from a romantic sense, you know, the idea back then was like, if you wanted to do comics, you did monthly comics. That's what you did. But you also, know? I know we got to move on. But like, the biggest problem in comics right now, from my perspective, is the art is not on the whole and there's other books we're going to talk about this week where that was a problem mm-hmm. but it's not good on the whole as you, as it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago but that's because almost everyone who's really good moves off monthly books like you said yeah that's probably and the, to keep people on the grind they've got to have yeoman yeah to, to put it well, that it's always way. been yeoman but like Yes. It's just it's, it feels like anybody who's really good shows up makes a name for themselves and then goes to something else yeah, well, which is unfortunate. A, it is a hard life. I think. I think that's the, the oh, part for, that, that we terrible. know. For sure. Yeah, they're all sick. They all have health problems because they're hunched over a drawing board for thirty hours of, you know, thirty hours a day. I was going to say, you know, but and there's there's so many people from other countries, you know, who have to do it. And I, and a lot of times I sort of realize, I go, oh, those countries provide health insurance, so that's not something those people have to like. It, it, it's harder to be a professional comic book artist in America than it is if you were Canadian, just for that reason alone. Like that's yeah. a leg up or in England or, or, you know, anywhere in Europe. Um, I think about that a lot. You mean like Italy? Yes. I mean, apparently there's some sort of tax break going on with Italian artists. 
The Riddler, year one, book one. This is another black label book, just like the previous book, the Catwoman book. And this is a prequel to the Batman movie written by Paul Dano, who played the Riddler and drawn by Steven Subic. Who's not not the same as as Stepan Sejic, but seems to be from the same school. (laughs) Yeah, I thought his art was interesting. I, I didn't. I, I liked I didn't, it. I'm, I don't mean that in a way. I just mean like it's this really. He's got like this uh, this strange name and and this sort of very uh, um, different art style. I guess it's not not sort of mainstreamy. It's its own thing. Um, so I saw this and I saw writer Paul Dano, yeah. and it took me a second to connect. Like I just didn't. I didn't put it together, and I and I I, I wrote Paul Dano because I wasn't thinking of it in the context. I was like, okay, yeah, it's the actor, and there's mm-hmm. no co-writer or anything like that and um and just to, to be clear paul dano uh, playing brian wilson is one of my favorite things to ever happen in cinema just want to go ahead and add that right here at the beginning um and i thought that's not gonna be good and i read it i don't remember why i think i thought there was a a i didn't have a ton of books but b i thought it's probably there's a chance that this will be the patron pick so i may as well get it out of the way mm-hmm. and while i'm not gonna tell you that i really loved it it was a lot better than I thought it would have been. Yeah, he, you know, for someone who's not known to be a writer, you know, this isn't like a, a screenwriter coming in to do a comic. This is an actor. Right. And not to denigrate actors, but he's just not known for writing. Right. Uh, it's, it was well, I mean, in terms of, it was well done. It wasn't overwritten. Yep. It wasn't, it didn't fall into the trap of most people coming into comics and, and putting too much on the page. It was, uh, you know, almost sparse in places. It was it was paced really well. It had a point of view. It had a direction. Um, you know, this this seemed like any kind of you know not maybe not veteran, but uh, you know this didn't this didn't scream this is an amateur comic book writer to me. I don't know what kind of help you know he had editorially or, or you know I think there were um, visual themes. Uh, you know, like it worked within the visual medium of comic books really well, which isn't something that new folks can always do. Right. Sort of collaborate in that visual medium, um, so I was actually really impressed by that part. I think, and, and that's why I put it here. I think mainly, yeah, it was it was definitely impressive. The art the art was really good. It was moody. It was psychologically, you know, sort of dark, but not oppressively. Right. Uh, it, you know, I don't know if this was like, did he come up with a backstory for the Riddler when he did the movie and decided he wanted to turn it into a story or what? But like, because you know, the movies movies come and gone. It's been a while. This mm-hmm. isn't like this didn't come out in conjunction with the film. Which is how these things I normally did, go. So, I did have that thought in that, like, I was like, maybe this is I, I, I didn't finish that movie, but um, I, I thought maybe like you know how an actor prepares for their role and they, yeah. they, they come up with a backstory for stuff, you know, and they figure out where they're coming from. And I'm wondering if this is the story that he told himself to get into that character, and then he turned it into a, a book, which is interesting. Which, I don't it think is. That's ever happened before, as far as and, I'm and aware. I, I can't be sure that happened, but that's what it feels like. And that's kind of cool because then you like, he's a great actor. So theoretically his backstory would be pretty good. Like if he had to think of it or he talked about with the director or whatever, whatever it was that, that forms this. Um, yeah. So basically the, I mean, the story is the, this, the, not the Riddler. He's not the Riddler yet, but Edward, it's not Nigma. It's, it's not like, Nigma. It's, it's, it's Edward something else. I don't forget. He says it, it at the end. Uh, he's an accountant for this firm. Or he works at this accounting firm or lawyer law firm or something, whatever this firm is. He works with the numbers and he discovers that uh, there's some shenanigans going on with one of the accounts and it, it's all mobbed up and there's there's 
there's these payments that are, you know, it, it basically he finds out there's some mal- financial malfeasance going on and it involves the organized crime and he's getting involved in that. And Nashton. Uh, Edward Nashton. Nashton. That's right. And, you know, it was good. And you see the psychological darkness of him, and it, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it enough. I was like, well, that was, that was pretty impressive for a first, assumingly yeah. a first-time comic writer. And I, I think that that's the thing that's laudable. I do think the, only, the thing that got me in terms of if I was going to talk about an amateur stuff, except everybody still does this, is that, like, the themes in it were like, okay, I know. I've read, I've read this stuff before, but Gotham is, is bereft of hope. This guy was picked on. Uh, his brain works really great. He's going to, you know, it, it, that wasn't new area. But mm-hmm. for a thing that was done, you know, it was done really well for sort of rehashing those kind of tropes and that this type of story. Like what was interesting was that I didn't know, um, like until the ver- until I got to the very end of this digital book, which is the last, you know, the back page of the comic, I didn't know this was officially a prequel to the movie i just thought he was doing a riddler story that felt like the movie because that's what he did this is a i was like okay well that makes more sense now stefan steven subic is a highly acclaimed european artist making his american comics debut well there you go very good i mean oh, the package is good i'll read the whole thing yeah i mean like i really thought oh this is going to be rough i'll take a look and and i was really pleasantly surprised at the craft speaking of rough thunderbolts that's, number three uh, so I, i'm gonna I don't know if I'm going to surprise you here. Uh-huh. I'm very torn about this Thunderbolts book. Mm-hmm. There are parts of it that I very much appreciate in an in a gosh sort of sense. Mm-hmm. As a this is a version of one of those late '90s comic books, and I kind of like that. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty light. It's pretty goofy. Um. But, you know, like, you've got an inconsistent version of the Hawkeye character, just as an example. And also of, like, I don't know. I don't know why America Chavez is here. It's weird. Like, I know why she's there, but it's a weird... T- like, it's... it's. I mean, I guess it's sort of the part of it, like, it's kind of not coming together in a way. I feel like she wouldn't join this team, but I guess I, if I, Luke Cage asked her, she, she would. That's I the only like way the it makes sense. I feel the team's way too powerful. That's yeah, yeah. Like I feel like it needs some other, like un you know low low powered folks to sort of give it that balance. There's too many. There's too many like big power, you know, folks. I, I I'm sorry. I'm just looking at it, and this is never we're talking about. The suit on Luke Cage is ridiculous. He he looks he he's this bright yellow suit with no tie, and it's like I don't know. <laughs> he does not look like he's from this era. It kind of doesn't work. It kind of doesn't come together, but I keep reading it, and I can, this is the most this is the most issues of a Zim, Jim Zub book I've read in forever. And I mean, Luke you know, Cage you looks, had, looks like he's going out to the club, not not being the mayor, yeah, but not the club now. Like the club, he's going to see Morris Day in the time, like in '93. It's well, oversized. Yeah, the, the art is not great. This issue, this issue, written by Jim Zub, drawn by Netho Diaz, and I wrote in the script because I also. <laughs> It says guest artist and guest colorist. And I was like, it's the third issue. It's not a guest. <laughs> He's responsible for 33% of the art in this story. Right. It's, this not, like does, it's, it's not like it's Thunderbolts issue 472. This no, is the guest no. Artist. If this was issue eight, sure. You don't get to be a guest artist on the third issue. That's not how this works. Um, 
you know, and it's got a goofy, like, like I, I was actually, when I was filling out the script again, like the, what are the apes called? The super apes. Great Marvel, you know, villain, you know, mm-hmm. and they show up at the Central Park Zoo and, and there's a whole thing. And the title is called Monkey Business. And I was like, what? Come on. You can do better than that, even if it's a thing that nobody reads. Whatever. It's an afterthought. There's a big fight. You know, they don't do a good job. Things get blown up. I really like, I really like, what, what's the little, like the little uh, uh, Jack Kirby monster? Oh, um, right. That thing. Yeah. Egro. Egro is great. <laughs> Egro is like the, the fly in the ointment. Like, and, and also, Egro's huge in public. They love him, you know? And, and yeah. I feel like. Egro plushies. Uh, yeah. And I, and I feel like the approach to PR that this book is going for is very frustrating, but I think it's really smart. Um, I think the book has a lot going for it. It's just, I think it's almost an impossible thing to deliver. It's only five issues, by the way. Five issues, and he's a guest artist. So, so it opens up with Hawkeye calling a team meeting in Central Park, and uh, he's in the full he's in the full gear. He's in his full Hawkeye costume. He's got the mask on. He looks great. He's almost got big boots, big big cat boots, but they're not quite there. But they're close. Yeah, they're good enough. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good look. And then the PR team shows up and says, take off that goddamn mask right now. And I was like, oh, fuck you. It felt like a kick in the nuts. Yeah. And then... I, I liked that scene, too, because it was the one where you got to see, he's like, all right, somebody take me down. And, like, he, he beats them all. It's right. basically arrow tag. And I thought, I was like, okay, here we go. And then, then at the end, we got this, like, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. We did that. You're like, you have... It's funny because characters don't advance in mainstream right. people. This one did. You, they made these choices. I guess they can try to bring him back. I'm not sure if I'm good enough, but that story was 30 years ago. The, the that wasn't even the one. That, I mean, that was like the outgrowth of what the whole I, issue but was. That's that's also connected to the larger problem that's going on in general with all these books. It's like all the writers going through their quarter life to midlife crisis. Like, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. And printing it on their characters, but yes, that part was to me the outcome of earlier in the issue where. You know, the, basically the whole team yells at him that he's incompetent, he's an idiot. And I'm like, Hawkeye was a lot of things, but he was never incompetent. And he's a, he was a kind of a, you know, an idiot is, he's not stupid. He not may act, act dumb, he may have uh, problems with his self-insecurity, he may, he, may he may be compensating by being over... Um, over eager and over uh, uh, over estimating his own abilities, but he was never an idiot. Yes, and I f- I fear they've taken him into this idiot place where he's just kind of a dope, and that's not that's not who he is. It's not the character. And they yeah, really overcom- right. They really overdid it in this issue with that. Yeah, I think so, and like the character actually kind of, I think grew pat. I mean, th- I think you'd said this about an earlier one, like. He, you know he's pretty well known and respected yeah like like i don't know but then there's the idea like if you're a certain age and you come in and there's a bunch of kids and they don't care anymore like you know there's places that john lennon could show up and people like so if he was a lot you know what i mean like it's i don't know that he's that old i don't know if he was that venerable or whatever it doesn't it's not quite it's not quite there it's not bad i'm still reading i'm gonna finish this but i it, want something else i don't know it, it feels like sometimes in the moment we enjoy things and don't realize the damage they're doing. And I love that Matt Fraction 
David Aha, you know, Hawkeye run. I have sure. the omnibus, but it really damaged the character beyond seemingly beyond fixing. It's like Damien. We looked in, in the time with Graham Morrison enjoyed it. We didn't realize what it was doing to Batman until we got away from it. And that's kind of what happens has happened to Hawkeye since that run mm-hmm. is that no one else is good enough to make that portrayal. So that they just go to like fuck up dummy. Mm-hmm. And that's not, who, that's not Hawkeye. And, and say what you will about uh, Jeremy Renner, MCU Hawkeye. He's competent as fuck. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the personality is all wrong and everything, except the uh, TV show started. The show was it, close, yeah. Yeah. It was at least enjoyable. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I find it fascinating. It's it's fun to read because I want to know. I want to see if they can they can get it right. I, I think they're close. See, Hawk, you know, Hawkeye I, is incredibly smart. He had to be. He would have to be. Yeah. Um, he just was... He he thought he could be Captain America. And so that's his whole driving force is that he thinks he's that guy and he's not, but it doesn't mean he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly smart. He has to, he has to be to, to shoot these arrows, make these calculations. And, you know, I still think of him, you know, out, out thinking the game master in that one 19 early nineties Avengers annual. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's, a, he's not an idiot and they've been portraying also- him that way ever since Hawkeye. Also, he he would be a good lead. I mean, this is the thing. I think we're I think we're biased on this. I think we we think about this character way too much. But he <laughs> would be. There's no way he wouldn't be a good leader at this point. Like he would know exactly what to do. Yeah, they they talk because about him. He's, he's, he's so led several teams. Leaders. Yeah, not only that, but he spent time. Like if nothing else, he spent lots of time with amazing leaders. Mm-hmm. You'd like you'd you'd have to be an idiot to not be able to sort of pick up from that. And he's not a. Ro- it's not like he's a. He's not like a Wolverine. He's not like a guy who doesn't want to join a team, you know? Right. He's a team guy. He is. Yeah. And so it doesn't, it, that part doesn't quite go. And I, I do think that from a plotting standpoint, like the Monica versus Clint, you know, like, well, she's kind of in charge, but he's kind of in charge. Like that conflict, that's good. That works. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Let's talk about Pearl 3. Number six, the final issue of this third volume of Pearl from Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos. I don't... I read every volume, every issue of this this series, Mm -hmm. and I remember enjoying the original volumes. I don't know what this was or why this was. Like, nothing really happened in these six issues. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. I I didn't dislike it. I didn't not enjoy it, but nothing really happened. Yeah, and I, I... It's interesting. I'm, on one hand, I'm kind of impressed because it's a very – it's both Bendisy and non-Bendisy. I feel like he's experimenting. He's re- I know that this isn't new. Like he, he started it a long time ago. Um, but if you were to – I don't know. It's, it's odd because it's very normalizing of the idea of being a Yakuza head. Like, oh, these are just kids who hang out. It just happens that she's the <laughs> – Head of America's West Coast Yakuza. <laughs> it's like, I think those are bad guys. I think traditionally, but she just wants to hang out with her boyfriend in the tattoo place. It's just you know, she inherited this. And like, there's not like, this is, there's not a story like, this is a good person and she's going to take it down from the inside or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, what are they saying? Like, what's the point? Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know what the point is. It came back and I was, I was interested because it was part of that. That uh, mini mini sort of renaissance he had with his Jinx World yeah. stuff a couple of years ago. And they were, most of the books were good, and so I was excited to read it. And it just 
I just didn't see the point. Also, this is my least favorite Gatos, where he basically just photoshops uh, over mm-hmm. photographs as opposed to drawing. And I, did, and I just he, don't like that at all. And he, like, I mean, basically, I think the story here is that she ends up after everybody got blew up or got killed or whatever, and she's the was the white dragon or something. Yeah. The ghost lady. Ghost, yeah. ghost dragon of... Ghost yeah. dragon, whatever. Um, of San Francisco. And so everybody's scared of her, but she's just this person. And then her dad was helpful, and now she finds out that her dad was the one who killed her mom. And then she kills her dad. There's a really there's one sequence I really liked in this, um, is that she's having this confrontation with her dad, and it's on like the big boss's veranda or wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And they show her face, and then you see a... Um, sound effects you know of pop you know and you cut the page and it's lots of small panels and you've like she shot her father while he was talking to him and he, he sort of falls over and i thought that was really well done i mean you, you know photo referencing aside or whatever um yeah i just thought it was good comic book storytelling it's really interesting sequence yeah it's just a weird it's just a weird book it was it was interesting to read to try to figure out what they're doing but in the end i don't feel like i know what they're doing yeah uh dc versus empires 10 Still really enjoying this this miniseries. I'm still liking it. Just it's they keep running into more vampires who aren't under the thrall of vampirism, and yeah. I don't understand the rules. I don't either, and I think that 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 one thing makes it confusing. I think it would be a stronger story if only Damien possessed yeah. the willpower to to sort of you know because Dick. There's a whole lot of stuff there that makes that possible. Um, right. It's the one thing about the book, and I wasn't going to say this. I was just going to say like I I love these books. I just think, yeah no, this is really good, really fun. It's it's the exact same thing that that we said about deceased in that like you know the characters are really fun to watch go through this, and it's funny that. Whenever this happens, Oliver Queen is in the center of the thing because he's the guy who doesn't want to put... He's getting too old for this shit. He doesn't want to put up with it, but he's going to work hard and he's going to do the right thing. I mean, that's the thing that was going on, which is actually really cool. Um, but you're right. Like, somebody will show up and, and and I'm like, wait, is that one a vampire? It's even worse in the All Out War one because the whole thing's in black and white. Oh, yeah. That's, more or less. that's a problem. And so... I, like and it's a great book. I I love it, but that part gets really confusing. And so, like, I've got to look really hard to tell whether I'm looking at a vampire or not. Um, but the personal drama of the whole thing has been really fun. You know, oh, yeah, and, no, this and is sort of how, how Dick Grayson's personality remains the same, but he's also the evil king of the vampires. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. It's incredibly fun. The art's terrific. It's just at this point they ran like punchlines like. She's like, yeah, I'm a vampire, but whatever. I'm like, I don't, I don't listen to him. It's like, wait, another one? Well, punchline. Like, I mean, you, you can't expect anything out of punchline. Punchline's also terrible. I wanted to mention the Human Target book eight because this was a very unusual issue in the story of Human Target, and I thought it was interesting. I thought the idea that so uh, Rocket Red, who was also a member of the Justice League International, he shows up and uh, basically kidnaps. Christopher Chance because he can't find Guy Gardner and he, from various clues, suspects that Christopher Chance is responsible for Guy Gardner to be missing. Correctly. And what's that? Rightly, correctly. Correct. Yeah, like he's not wrong. But he, you know, Christopher Chance gets out of it with the help of Ice and Rocket Red apologizes and they they managed to fake a Guy a communication from from Guy. But I thought the implications were really interesting at the end where he basically. You know, Rocket Red's like, hey, sorry, buddy, here, here, have vodka, let's drink and be friends, and Christopher Chance knocks him out, because he, he basically, he stole a day from me, and yeah, 
that was the most interesting part of the book. I was like, oh, r- shit. Like, he's only got like two weeks to live. And so he lost an entire day of those two weeks to this And I thought that th- throughout the book. I'm like, you know, you're kind of under the clock here. And it feels like, if so given that and sort of looking back at this, like, he regards looking for the killer and spending time with ice to be of equal value. Right. Because a lot of times I'm like, what are you doing just sitting around? And I was like, well, it's a beautiful lady and you're sitting around with her drinking. I get that. You know, like yeah. that's what he's doing with his time. But I liked that emotional outburst. Yeah, that was, you know, the, the, the issue stuff. I enjoyed it, but it was very much sort of off the beaten path of what this book's been. But then that that bit at the end when he blew up at him, I was like, oh, that was really good. That was mm-hmm. that was really smart. Um, and we haven't really seen that side of Christopher Chance sort of he's not like psychopathically beating him he just he's very angry because he lost a day mm-hmm. well and that's the first time you've really seen him worry or react he's taking because he's he's he appears to have this point been taking it all quite well in stride right you know he's he's just he's going about his thing and, and you know each issue is another day the 12th issue being the last day um yeah you're right it was it's, good uh, Strange Academy finals number one. So the just the next issue of Strange Academy, the aforementioned Scotty Young with art is still by Humberto Ramos, which I think is really important. If it wasn't him, yes. I think this book wouldn't work as well. It's a very good book, and the, I'm not to discount Scotty Young's writing at all, but I think the art is just as important as the writing. I, uh, I don't think Scotty would disagree with you. <laughs> and I just like the way this book has evolved. You know, now now. As, as everything's falling apart at the school, I like the idea of Emily being the big bad, who was the most normal of the kids. It's and, so, and I don't mean this in a bad way, it's so textbook, but it was done well enough that at the end I was like, oh, obviously that's the way you would do this, but it was still surprising. It <laughs> did what it was supposed to. I had no idea that the big frost giant was a male character. I didn't either. I thought, it was, I thought okay. also female. You know, this was fun. This book is always fun, and... That bit with the frost giant was my favorite bit, where Scarlet Scarlet Witch uses a spell because the the frost giant's a giant can't fit in the in the school. She's always out. He see that was she. He's always outside, you know, looking in through the windows, and so she Scarlet Witch uses a spell to change the perception either of the frost giant or of the school so that she fits into the building. He and, he, damn it. and that was really interesting. Like that is a really fun way to look at magic, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and sort of and and have it be the Scarlet Witch. Man, all these pages are just energy. Like every page, bursting. they're bursting. It, yeah, it 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 is it is so great, and I, I feel like like Humberto Ramos was like a huge influence and mentor on Scotty Young. Yeah, Humberto Ramos, you know, came around in the nineties. He's 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 el- not el- he's an elder comic artist. He's at this point. Yeah, and hasn't but, lost but, a t- hasn't lost a, a stroke. No, no, and it, it and and delivers on time. <laughs> I don't want it. Like, Middle I school, can't oversell guys. that. Yeah. yeah. Every, he's in every issue of this book. Yep. And, 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 and it's such great teen melodrama. I mean, there's the fu- the part where uh, Emily's arguing with her friend, the zombie. Yep. And their their faces are just these in these wretched masks of anger. There's just it's, it's so over the top, but it works in the context of these being teens and everything you feel as a teen is so magnified beyond comprehension that, because you're bursting with hormones that you can't control. That page, uh, number 21, that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, and that was the one I said, look at all the energy, and yeah. what it occurs to me now looking at that is that we talk a lot about uh, in comics how you know it's about action, it's about doing things, and it shouldn't necessarily be people talking in a room, but you're going to do people talking in a room. Mm-hmm. Look at this page. Like That's how you do it. You yes. know, it's... it's I mean, they're having an argument or whatever, but like... It's a really 
energetic and it's not, it's not terribly dynamic. It's not like they're breaking any rules here. It's just like every, all the all the if they they're yelling at each other, the characters are a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Like they take up more space on the page and so it's more insistent. And you know, that basically you increase the size of the panels. In fact, if, as we get to the bottom, um Clayton Cowles uh <laughs> has increased the size of the words. Yeah. The text actually gets bigger as they start yelling at each other. That's great. I don't feel like that get gets used a lot, but that works. I find I find there's been a lot more experimentation in how they letter things in the last couple of years in terms of like making text bigger or smaller or changing the color of the text within the balloon. Yeah. Like they, that, that's something you didn't ever do before. Even the page before before the yelling has started is, is incredibly interesting visually and dynamic without the actual stuff in you know, action. Argument. Visually, you can tell exactly what happens with the mood. Mm-hmm. As you go through the panels, it progresses on every single panel and leads directly into that next page. And that, you know, on paper, that could be one boring ass scene. Mm-hmm. Or like a lot of artists would not be able to do that. And, and, uh, wow, you just made me like, a, like I, I read it. I appreciate it when I read it, but I'm like, that didn't sort of specifically hone in on it. But yeah, this, this is a terrific book. It really that's is. What makes a comic book artist great being able to do that. I loved him in the '90s when he did the he did the vampire book with Judd Winnick, I think he did. But I always followed followed him wherever he went because he's he's just really really good. So that was the week of comics we wanted to talk about. But every patron over at Patreon.com/slash/ifanboy gets to vote to add a book to the rundown. We talked about it earlier for a while. Damn them all was leading the the vote the vote, and then out of nowhere, Star Trek number one from IDW took over and never looked back. Written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, the, art, the writer team doing a lot of Marvel work right now, with art by Ramon Rosanas and colors by Lilo Origin. Hey, Clayton Cowles on letters, and which this is unusual is, for IDW. This is the a uh, comic that came out of the last time that Star Trek was a patron pick, which was six or seven episodes ago. We had that story at the end of that anthology that led into this somehow, and uh, here we go. We're back with Star Trek, even though. Last time, Josh was like, I don't know anything about Star Trek, and I don't know what's going on here. So this is going to be very interesting to see if anything is different now as we are into an actual narrative story as opposed to before, which was sort of a lot of little vignettes. All um, right, so context here. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I don't know okay. when it takes place. I know mm-hmm. it was a show. I kind of recognize the Cisco person, like, mm-hmm. like in the most vague terms. Mm-hmm. I... I'm pretty aware of who the characters are on Next Generation. I, mm-hmm. I think I watched that for a while when it first came out in syndication, you know, for like a year or so, and then, you know, dropped off. But mm-hmm. I know who those characters are. And so the timeline of this was sort of problematic in that, I mean, maybe you can, uh, you well, can all illuminate those, me a little bit. All those shows around the same time, uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all took place at the, concurrently. They were all taking place at the okay. same time. Okay, that's good. Um, what was interesting about this book, starting it off, is that it made me realize something, and that something is that I may not have finished Deep Space Nine. Mm. Even though I was a huge fan of it, the problem was the end of Deep Space Nine was the end of our time in college. Uh-huh. And so watching TV, just in general, wasn't a priority. True. And we watched... We watched Oz, <laughs> and we finished, uh, uh, there was one other show, Seinfeld. Like, those are the shows that we finished. Yeah, and 
you know, this is pre-DVRs, pre-internet, really. Like, if you didn't see the show, you didn't see the show. And so it was like, you know, go to the party or watch Star Trek. I went to the party. So I didn't, I don't, the ending of that show, I had to go look it up. Because the book opens with Benjamin Sisko in this, uh, in this white light, living in this white light. And I said, what the fuck is going on here? So I had to go look it up. And I was like, oh, he got, at the end of the show, he got like sucked into this uh alien prophet dimension in a wormhole and lived there as a as a mystical being and i was like wow i don't remember that at all and i looked at the date of the final episode and it was it you know when it took place it was that month after college when you and me and gordon the intern lived in our houses for another month that's a good time and we definitely weren't watching tv Mm-mm. so i definitely don't think i saw the final episode of do say even though i loved that show again it was that or you know hang out with you guys, go to see, go to see the Phantom Menace for the 10th time or uh, hang out with my college girlfriend and we definitely weren't watching Star Trek when I was doing that. So, um, I didn't know that. That was a surprise for me. I learned something. Anyway, this issue, first of all, um, the most pleasant surprise with this issue was that the art was strong. Well, I mean, I, I was going to say, I think, yeah, th- that's the thing was, and not, not just the art, like the team, like, Kelly and, Kelly and Lansing aren't, you know, like huge writers, but they they did that great Kang series. They're on Captain America now. They've done stuff. They're they're if not vets, they're pros. You mm-hmm. know, um, Ramon Rosanas is an artist. Again, again, not a big name, but he's nope. been around. Like can draw. As I'm going through this, I go, this is a good way to do these characters. They're drawn. They definitely resemble them, but it's it's not photo realistic, and it's they, they look like them. Like there's only one character who doesn't look really anything like the actor, but that's because it's sort of a nondescript white guy. But other than that, everyone's recognizable as the you know, character. Scotty looks like Scotty. Picard looks like Picard. Um, uh, Lee Lowridge on colors, like yeah. that's a get. <laughs> it's, 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 I was really surprised. I was Clayton Cowles on letters. Like they went, they went for it. I saw the cover. I thought, okay, usually IDW springs for the cover, and then I got into the books. Like, oh. It's the same artist. Oh, this is good. Like, so that was the mm-hmm. most surprising thing from the issue. Agree. Um, this is like Star Trek porn. So yes, Cisco comes back with this like prophecy in his head. He's got to go to this place in space. He needs a ship. And so even though he's been gone for three years, he just basically goes, he, he basically blood brushes off his family. He's like, I got to go. And it goes to Picard and says, hey, I need you to get me a ship. And he, he since he's the hero of the war with the, dominion he gets a ship and it's crewed by like an all-star cast of star trek characters so you have a next an original series cast member with scotty because scotty reappeared in the modern timeline for complicated reasons i won't get into so scotty's the engineer he rebuilt this ship it's the ship it's the uss thesis so it's a they, they I, pl- I had to look that up i was like what does this mean that's that this the ship the that ship. was replaced piece by piece until it was a whole new ship but was it like it's a whole psychological it's a whole like philosophical thing like it's the same ship if it's entirely new um, right, but was that in something? No, that's just a, that's just a thing in that's real life. Just in this, it wasn't. No, it's a real life thing. It's a the the ship of oh. pieces. Um, okay. So Scotty is the engineer. He was the captain. He and now he's the engineer. Data is his Data is Cisco's first officer. Doctor Crusher is his medical officer. Uh, Lieutenant Paris from the Voyager series is his uh, helmsman. He's the one that doesn't doesn't really look like the actor, but again, not sort of nondescript looking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it in terms of. So you've got. Is there a there a Vulcan? I, yeah, he's not one of the characters. So there's original series 
character. There's three next generation character. There's two next generation characters. There's a Deep Space Nine character and there's a Voyager character. So all the shows that were taking place at the same time are all represented on this ship. And uh, um, I mean, we have to get past the uniforms that are a crime against everything I hold dear. I don't know what the fuck these uniforms are. I've never seen them before. Why they're wearing them? Why if anybody thought this was a good design? Like they're offensive. I, I was just looking at what he said, then I was like, I have no feelings about this at all. They're offensive. Okay. Uh, I, you know what? I know the colors kind of mean something, and I found that helpful. Well, the colors that. the colors correspond to their 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 uh, station on the ship. So like blue right. is medical or science, uh, and they they switched these up on the original the original series. Uh, gold was command, like Kirk wore gold, but for some reason they switched them for the next generation era. So the red is command, and yet and. That kind of thing. So they, they're all they're all, they, they they correspond to what sort of, no one wanted to wear red after that first series. <laughs> what sort of this position you are in the ship? What sort of area? Um, it, it was it was fun. I I thought this was a fun story. It, it it's tough, you know. Licensed books. When you're looking at a bunch of drawings of actors, you don't get those actors. You don't get the performance. You don't get the voice. You don't. You know. It's it's it just reminds you that you're not seeing what was really valuable about performance, which is, you know, the performance. And uh-huh. so that's, for me, that's always the tough thing about licensed comics. But otherwise, I thought the story was fun. I liked it. Uh, yeah. I think, um, I thought it was really well done. I think when I got out of that last Star Trek book that we did, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the fact that we had to, I was like, oh, God, I don't want to do this again. But I made an effort to sort of, like, I read the bits at the beginning, trying to understand you know, where it was in time to get the context for everything. And it was a well done comic book. Like it was not like, this is a nightmare. If I don't know Star Trek, I think it's pretty good. And I know enough so that like, I know when data shows up that matters, mm-hmm. you know, in some way. And, and you know, the reveals, I, I knew enough to have that work. Um, do I care? No. <laughs> like, I like, am I good? Like, you know, I'm not going to keep reading it because yeah. I'm not interested in all, but it wasn't a bad comic book. It was a good comic book with, with, with real craftsmen on it. I think having so when they did the next generation, they had Data as a character, Data certain Android, and it was their way of doing a Vulcan without doing a Vulcan again. Mm-hmm. And I think having Data and a Vulcan is possibly too much. There's a, there's a lot of like very dispassionate logical discussions. Well, I feel like the thing about Data though is that he sort of evolved the personality in a way that a Vulcan doesn't. And I know that's always kind of, that's always been kind of a joke is that like every once in a while Spock would be like, "I like this," you mm-hmm. know. Yep. But Data seems to at least be, you know, and I assume there was some sort of character development, but like, you know, yep. he's got a cat, he's interested in stuff. You oh, know, for he, sure. He's, he, more, he's more quirky now. It's, it's like he's on the spectrum. Yes, kind of, yes. Uh, you and know, he has an emotional chip. You saw it in this issue. He he, right. he deactivates it when he feels fear. Like he, that's, that's sort of their, you know, no, no actor's going to play, play that character for eight years and be like, I need to do something else here. Right. So they, especially one of Brent Spiner's uh, skills. So they gave him an emotion chip that he could you know, feel emotion like humans and, but also could deactivate when needed, uh, which is great. I wish everyone, but I, you know, like having not watched the show and I thought that was all pretty well depicted here, you know? Yeah. I think as a, as a, as a comic, it was solid. Um, they, you know, they go off to this spot in the universe that he needs to go to and there's nothing there, but there's these little microscopic pieces of life. And then these giant I, sort of space things show it, up. <laughs> it, it was confusing what hard. exactly happened. But, it was kind of hard to not be like, yeah, you know, the Expanse did this. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it was very similar 
in that like there's this other dimensional thing that's going on and they have to try to figure it out and they literally go to a space where there's nothing i was like that happened in the expanse specifically well, i mean yeah i mean to be i mean it's fair it, it happened a lot in star trek too but it's just right uh, like, it was like a little confusing the other it was a little unsatisfying in terms of what actually happened when they got to this this mystical place in space it was sort of these yeah giant creatures of light that you know Crystal god things talk to cisco in his head and then they blew up the many creatures and then I don't, it was like okay a little unsatisfying but the characterization I stuff too, was I good i like it was unsatisfying but it was like, too fast like they ran yeah, out so of I mean, room and they're like oh yeah they killed them there's gods so we just yeah. if, accept that but it didn't really have the magnitude that i think it was supposed to yes yeah, so i guess the little creatures were gods i don't know i mean but, but the ship character the ship was fun like if this was a show it'd be awesome like the 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 Andorian who you know they look silly with the the light blue skin and the, and the tentacle you know the sort of think you know, tentacle heads but they're they're really warlike and angry people mm-hmm. and they're always fun and it's just it's 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 a good mix it's just the what actually happened was a little like eh, okay but yeah I liked it more than I thought I would like it same ratings 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 out of five I'm gonna give it a four three point three 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 and you're not gonna stick with it no i don't know i might might. i might i might you might the francesco francovia uh cover is fantastic i had to look up who it was because it doesn't say but uh that's that's the red one right orange and blue thing yeah it's like yeah it's like reddish orange and and the ship flying through this orange space yeah yeah really really good super striking I thought it was maybe Michael Cho, but so it's the frickin' oh, yeah, like that, that makes Michael sense. Cho. But so Star Trek number one, IDW. If you're a Star Trek fan and you've watched Star Trek in that '90s era, you probably really enjoy it. If like me, you missed the final couple episodes of these Fist Nine, you might be a little confused, but you'll figure it out. Yeah, I can't believe I missed nice. the end of these Fist Nine. I have to figure this out. I got to rectify this. All right, patreon.com slash ifanboy. Every page can vote to the book of the rundown, but if you, if you give at the $5 or higher level, you get a superpower live on the show like Waldo Cervantes. You know how, Josh, how uh, Scott Summers opens his eyes and, you know, beams of, uh, red beams of force pressure come out? I do. Waldo opens his eyes, and th- it's not like Scott summers where he can't control it he can control it's gonna be food isn't it no it's not food okay he can he can control this this is not uncontrollable uh he can turn on headlights so bright bright headlight lights pop out of his eyes so if you're like an iphone but just directly in the system right through his eyeballs he's like a spotlight with eyes I, i gotta say as a person with regrettably failing uh, close-up vision. <laughs> mm-hmm. The light would make all the difference. <laughs> like I can, if listen, if I'm in the bright sun, I can see that small type. Yeah. If I'm in a room at, at dusk, I better find a light. And right there, Waldo. And by the way, Waldo Cervantes, quality name. Mm-hmm. I just want to go ahead and give him the credit for that. For sure. Um, I mean that would be very helpful. Can can he control the uh uh. The, the luminosity, like the, like how bright it is. Much like a is car, you can switch between regular and bright. And, uh, so there's only bright. two. Well, no, but see, here's the thing. Yeah. There is no difference between the regular, the intensity of the regular and the bright light. It's about the direction, 
regular lights point down, bright lights point forward. Mm. So, in this case, he, he, can, it's in, for is, him, it's intensity. So there's a a, a a rheostat, more or less. Yeah, he only has two settings though. He can't. Okay, okay. He, he doesn't have like a dial. He has two settings. So theoretically, you wouldn't necessarily want to walk with him at night on the sidewalk, uh, coming towards him, towards you. Correct. Because it would blind you. And a lot of cars think that you only need to turn your high beams off if there's a car coming and not, say, a person with their dog. No. As if, as if it wouldn't blind me quite so much. Right. As if I was in a vehicle. <laughs> because it does. And it's scary. So if Waldo was in a place that was really dark with his car, he would have the headlights and his eye lights. Yeah. You got to be careful. He's going to want to make sure it doesn't glare on his, like he's, his, his windshield had better be pristine to have that happen. Oh, for sure. Because otherwise you've got reflection. It's a whole, it's, you know, don't turn a light on in the, inside the car while we're driving. And the kids are always like, why not? <laughs> and then and you by crash. The kids, I, I meant me. <laughs> why can't I turn this light on? I would like to see. And now I understand. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you give the $5 or higher level like Waldo, you get a superpower live on the show. Thanks for being a patron, Waldo. And he did that at Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's uh, where people go who def- directly want to support the show. We thank them. They've opened up a lot of things for the entire community to enjoy a lot of the shows we do. Almost all the extra shows we do are because of the patrons. They unlock those stretch goals. Uh, we try to make it fun for them. They have uh, community things they get to enjoy. They have a Discord group and a Facebook group, and uh, we have the monthly hangouts. And it's it's a fun time, we hope, for them, and hopefully for you, too. And if you want to support the show, if you consider supporting the show, patreon.com slash fanboys, great way to do that. I, I have been working on new stretch goals to present to Josh. I just haven't done it yet because we haven't had a moment. But I, also, I want to do a couple more options for him. I want to give him some options. And so we can talk about it. So we'll get to those soon enough. Ifanboy.threadless.com is where our t-shirt store is. You can buy our 12 designs on t-shirts or all kinds of things. Uh, we also have some ideas for new, t- new designs we're working on as well. So hopefully, I think with the coming of the new year, we'll have new shirt designs. We'll have new stretch goals. We'll be all kinds of new stuff to enjoy at ifanboy.com. Ifanboy.com slash support is our di- digital tip jar via PayPal. Ifanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can find a bookload books as well as a, a shopping link. And bookshop.org, you'll find links for those books via Bookshop. If you want to support local bookstores, it's a great way to do it. I just bought like six books through Bookshop last week. Do I need more books? No. You definitely don't. Do I have room for them? Not really. But did I do it? Yes, I did. I'm very excited for for a few of them. I've been reading some great books lately. I got that book you told me to get. It's fucking gigantic. Which one? Uh, Masters Masters of the Air. Oh. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good book. I I opened the book and I was like, what? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, also in a good way. Yeah. So, thank you for supporting the show. We appreciate it. The show literally couldn't go on without your support through the various ways. Patreon.com, Threadless.com, via PayPal, via Amazon, via Bookshop. We thank everyone that helps to support the show in any way you can. You get to decide if we're going to do an email or not. I'm going to put the you know, I, on I, I had I, We had a low, we had a, not a lot of books. I thought we were going to get through it. But then what happens is we were talking, I go, well, we got time. We can expand on this a little bit. And then this happens. That's and always the fatal thought, Josh. I don't want to edit a really, really long show, uh, and it's a problem, but I like both of these questions an awful lot. So I want your commitment that one of these will be on the show next week. Oh, yeah, no, I'll put them both on the show next week. Well, let's do one, because... Do one? Yeah, let's do one. Which one do you want to do? Scott H. says, I've been thinking about this question since I finally tracked down an issue of Spawn Number 1 in 1994. I bet you paid a lot for it then, a lot more for it then than you would now. Yeah. What would the industry look like if comics had never really been considered collectibles? I think this mainly would have affected the specialty comic shop world, but would it have any other ramifications? It's hard to say, but uh, I would love to hear you guys speculate. 
<laughs> uh, so I'm looking on eBay, and there's a wide range of prices for Spawn Number One right now. Uh-huh. There is a uh, buy it now bit listing for eighty five dollars, but there's also an auction going on, and it's currently at six dollars and fifty cents. And there's another auction right. going on where it's currently at forty three dollars, and another auction going on where it's currently at five dollars. So. It's at the higher end. It's I'm seeing so, a lot of higher end, but not. So the the other day, it occurred to me you went on a little buying. Uh, you were trying to put together some original runs on eBay. Yeah, um, I did. Of, just for of, a yeah. couple of months, and then I got a job. <laughs> right, and then <laughs> it's like unusual because you spent money anyway. Um, and I actually have gone through a thing lately. I'm not I'm not really buying anything, but mm-hmm. I, it occurred to me I was like I don't own like. I feel like I should own Preacher number one. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and like, and there's a question was, do I just buy some random issue? Like, is that worth what should I get? Like one that's, that's graded, right. you know? And the, the first issue, like you could find it for, you know, less than 30 bucks for like a regular issue. Oh yeah. $15. You know, I saw, I saw a 9.6 for like 80 bucks. Oh yeah. I see it too. Yeah, it's right and here. I showed that to my wife and she goes, I think that, I thought that'd be more than that. Now she doesn't really know this stuff, but she understands, you know, there's a nine point you know, eight for two hundred. No, I'm sorry, buy it, buy it now for four hundred and fifty. But that's nothing. I mean, relatively speaking, you know, like I would think. Uh, and I bought. I actually did buy a couple of back issues of Breacher. Um, to one one the one that contained my favorite panel of all time. Yeah. Uh, it was three dollars. You know, I <laughs> like right. it. Like anyway, so th- and that's not the point. Um, although I do want to get the issue of GI Joe uh, twenty two. Don't 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 say it publicly. The prices will just go up. 21. You can I mean, buy the 22. full run of Preacher, all for all 66 issues, plus the extras for $400. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Um, anyway. That's the, the price the, of the the question, number the premi- one earlier. The premise of the question is... I want to do more eBay Does the collectability talks. of comic books uh, change how, I guess, the medium evolved? And I would say abso fucking lutely 100%. Probably, I, mean, I we should. I want to. I just want to preface this. Back. This is hundred percent pure speculation. There's no way to answer this question without no being completely in the realm of fantasy. We just don't know. There's no way to know. So this is all just. I just want to make that clear before we get into it. Yeah, th- I mean that's fair. There's no way to know. I you can't. That, you can't take out an element like that and know what would have happened. It's just impossible. You know. Right, but what I do think it's like, like what would happen to film? They never developed sound. Like who knows? I think that. For example, television did not have a collectability factor at all until DVD starts showing up. Are you kidding? I got like 15 TVs in here. Well, I know what you mean, but it's not the thing itself. You're talking about the the, the monitor, the devices, the I'm tools collect- or whatever. I'm collecting them, Josh. It's a joke. But the the reach of it was so broad that that ended up paying for itself. I feel like the direct market, the way that you buy comics now, is largely subsidized by the collector's market whether it's the, the alternate covers oh, yeah. the back issues or whatever like that direct market doesn't exist without that even right now a lot of stores market. exist they still are in, in the in the black because they right. sell those variant covers for huge markups right like that's so that's a that, still thing i think it supports and allows comics to continue if not for that we're still relying on subscriptions and newsstand and I don't think comics survives. Well, yeah, I mean, A, they wouldn't because the newsstands got rid of comics. Comics didn't leave the right. newsstands. The newsstands left comics. So without the, without the specialty shops, there, aren't, there is no comics business. So 
at the time. I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, this is we're talking about decades before digital, decades before, you know, it's just you. you if in the '90s we had not gone the way we did, comics would have ceased to exist because the stores, the the newsstands, stopped selling them, and so there's nowhere to buy them but the comic stores, and the comic stores certainly don't, don't exist in the numbers they do without the collectability factor. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you pull the plug, you're pulling the plug on comics without the collectability factor in the '90s, which almost so. pulled the plug on the comics anyway. It's a very complicated situation. I think that, you know, also I. I I feel like it's part and parcel with the readership to a certain extent because unlike TV, you can't go back and get old episodes, but back in the old days you could. And that was the only way to sort of catch up on things. And so there was a physical, tactical, you know, manifestation of your of the comic book. And it feels like it's so intertwined. I mean, you and I, I tell you right now, like open up a box of old comics. What does it smell like? You know, like... That makes it collectible. You want to own that. You want to hold that thing. I think, I think there's different. a difference between a collectible and an investment, or an asset, right? So, like, that's a good point. So, comics went from collect from being a collectible to an asset in the '90s, or at least a potential asset, and that drove a lot of mm-hmm. speculation when they thought they'd be worth a lot, as opposed to kids in the '80s just, you know, collecting the comics they like to read. They went from Mm-hmm. I have these comics too. These comics are going to pay for my house, and that changed. That was that's a different kind of collectability. Yeah, and then that that both buoyed and then destroyed comics, or at least you know push it all the way down. And, that's, and, that, and but like I said, without but without that, um, yeah, you know, so you, the comics comics become a potential asset. The comic stores boom as people start flooding into stores buying comics. There's tons of comic stores, but then it busts and a lot of the comic stores close. But again, there was nowhere else after that. I mean, you, you could still in the 90s buy comics at newsstands, but after a certain point, you couldn't anymore. So the only place left to buy them was the, was the stores. So there's no world in which comics stay a newsstand, magazine-esque, you know, casual thing. That doesn't happen. They, they mm-hmm. go out of business otherwise. So they needed the collectability and the store and the specialty shop culture to continue on because there was nowhere else to buy them. Yeah. It's a comp- it's it's complex like anything else. It's a complex situation. Uh, you get, yeah. I mean yeah. you just can't put you can't re- you just can't remove you could try to remove the speculative nature in it from the history and it might still exist, but it would be a very different industry, I think, Wait. because the money wouldn't have come in to fuel a lot of stuff. You know, it's interesting. I think that the best example of that is like digital comics. Digital comics have no inherent collectability until somebody came along with NFTs, you know. And it's funny because the way that like comiXology is set up is that you have a digital collection. And a lot of the um, trepidation from people adopting it was like, well, do I own these? Do I, you know, like whatever? And it, it, it's like a different mindset. But people were trying to apply the older mindset to it. Like, I want to have the file. I don't want to have it on, you know, the, the cloud. Well, it's not different it, than going, like, into, going into Apple and seeing my movie collection that I purchased, which yes. can also be pulled away at any time. It could. Yep. And people don't like that. So I guess that's sort of a collector. You want to own the thing. But but then it's like, does just the power of the story and the work, is that enough to keep it around? And I think it doesn't. No, no, for sure not. 
the number of people who are just pure readers is lower than the number of people who are collectors. And they're just mm-hmm. two types of readers, and the one's not better than the other. Um, I was a collector, now I'm just a reader. But there's less of me than there are. And without them, without the collectors, there would be no industry. And you don't spend as much money as those people. And so therefore, you are not no, driving not sure not. the industry in any way. Maybe no, a little I'm, bit. I'm a leech I mean, we on the industry. <laughs> what do you it, do? It, it, it's tough. It's tough because none of us, you know, looking back, you don't like that period of, you know, people rushing in and spending $100 for a comic that just came out. And I remember, I still remember vividly going into the store uh, for Superman 75 and it was a fucking madhouse. They had them all behind the counter. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't even buy at a cover price when the day it came out. It's like, it's like sneakers. That's what yeah. sneakers is like now. You, you, it was. I, I still vividly remember it. The store, which no longer exists anymore, shocking. Um, you know, being I was a, being all upset because I was like, this is. I, I've been. I'm a regular. I buy all. I buy all these comics, and I can't get the one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did get it, but like, you know, they were selling for like a hundred bucks already the day on that Wednesday, or whatever mm-hmm. day it was. So <laughs> that was that was not a good investment. No, and the store ended up busting out. Because right. they really leaned into that stuff. They just the store was right around the corner from my apartment, so I was like, you know, I would have gone somewhere else if it hadn't been right there. Mm-hmm. But you can't remove that from the timeline without it really just falling down like a house of cards. Because so much is dependent on that. Yeah, that's tough. But also, there's there's a reverence that goes into the comics that you know <clears> that, that you don't get otherwise. We got to wrap the show up. We got to finish. Let's. let's you wanted good, to do it. It was a good email. Though. It's a great email. I know, but it was like it was too good not to. Um, so there you go. Go I'll for it. I'll just say this. The, the, I'm, 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 the final thought. I don't know that Scott is saying this. I'm just saying it in general. The romanticized notion that comics would exist just fine without that portion of it, I don't think is incorrect. I do too. It's just, you, it, it, it blew the industry up when a time it needed it, especially when it lost all those other distribution avenues. Nor, nor do I think it's necessarily a bad thing. Like collection, you know, there's, there's there's destructive parts of it, but some of it really. No, I mean, I mean the speculation kid. part of it that really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, kids collected comics way before speculation. I I had boxes of comics in the eighties. Right, and like, but like going back and finding older ones, and some of them are worth more money and whatever. Sure. You know, that's it's kind of it's great. That was because they were scarce. Anyway, let's we could go on forever. And it's contact at ifanboy.com. That's how you can write into this show or the media explode show. I'm just I'm going to skip some of this. So. We had a Booksplode comics, a Booksplode on Cosmic Odyssey, which was super fun. I'm really proud of that one. If you go back and find that on the feed, you can listen to that. Last, just behind the show, we had a, our special edition review of Black Adam. Me and Paul Montgomery looked, looked at that movie. And then this coming week, we have our Media Explode for, it's going to actually come out on the very first day of, no, no not first day. It's going to come out the, November 3rd, but it's actually October Booksplode. We had to wait to watch House of Dra- for House of Dragon to finish. We're going to look at House of Dr- the Dragon and Lord of the Rings. That's our October book Media Explode that's going to happen in November. And then we have a whole holiday schedule, which I'll get into next week, but basically we wanted to run through for you the, the rest of the year because it's always slightly modified as we get into the holidays. So we'll get to that next week. Cool. Go to ifanboy.com. You can find all of our shows and all the comic book writing that's ever been up there from a big team of writers that we had. You can go to facebook.com slash ifanboy or at ifanboy on Twitter or at ifanboycomics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show actually comes out. Uh, and on Instagram specifically, there's some other stuff that we put up there, panels of the week, stuff like that. Uh, you can follow us individually, C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram and our YouTube pages, youtube.com slash ifanboy. Uh, the old video shows are there. Uh, if you want to get into that catalog of, of us back then, those kids on a couch. Um, 
It's there. The archive is complete. Um, so go forth if you need more. And consider leaving a review or a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Whatever whatever service you use, you can usually leave a rating or a review, and it really helps people find the show. It helps the algorithm. We do appreciate that. Even better than that, it's totally friends word of mouth. And we appreciate that as well. And that's it for this week's show. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Keep cool out there. Watch your six. Watch your six.